the title of this episode does not fully encapsulate how I feel about the church. It's just to support this episode's narrative. I made an entire episode about my positive experiences with growing up in church. And if you want a more optimistic listen today, you can go listen to that episode. But today I am going to be talking about my bad experiences that I had in church. Again, if this is not the lighter episode that you were hoping to see drop today, it's fully okay to skip this week's episode or go listen to literally any of my other episodes where I'm humorous, I'm uppity, I'm light on my feet. It's just today's episode is going to be cutthroat and honest. There's no corny joke to start the episode. And I'm about to dive into my negative church experiences. And I think the way I'm going to set the stage for this is by reiterating something that I said in my growing up in church episode. It's the fact that the church was the cornerstone of my childhood. I got in church from basically the time I came out of the womb and I was loyal to the church to an absolute T. So I fell in love with going to church in elementary school because it was the first thing that was introduced to me as a means of making friends, connecting with God, and participating in fine arts such as choir and theater. And with that being said, my participation in church also tied in with getting my basic needs met and whether or not I would have a prosperous future. Missing one Sunday morning or one Wednesday night church service felt like a crime against God. It felt like a sin that would definitely land me in hell if I didn't get on my knees and repent. So I stayed extremely loyal to the church as a means of not letting down my family and, quote, standing strong in my faith. And as I got into high school, me and my friends started to have conversations and I began to get suspicious that church isn't all the sunshine and rainbows that it was cut out to be. And it wasn't until I left my childhood church and went off to college at 18 that I was finally able to take an objective view and gain the boldness and the confidence to question something that I held so close to my heart and at one point I thought had nothing wrong with it. I've had this entire past year to reflect on it. And at several points over the past year, it felt wrong to suspect things about the church. I was listening to the Ear Biscuits podcast with Rhett and Link, the episode called Link's Spiritual Deconstruction, and Link was stating the idea that deconstruction is a hairy topic. So hearing that gave me reassurance that I wasn't the only one struggling with confidence as far as claiming these issues I had with the church. So fast forward to today, I'm finally clear on what I have a problem with concerning the church. I have it all written down clearly on a Google Doc, and I'm now going to share it with the podcast. And I'm going to try to dissect these issues chronologically in the order that they affected me. So from the time that I was a toddler, going into elementary, middle school, and then high school, the point where I left the church. So my first point is touching on something that greatly affected my attitude towards life overall, and still really affects me subconsciously, and that is speech suppression. Please stick with me for this entire point. So as elementary age kids in church, we were highly, highly monitored because anything out of line that we had to say would reflect poorly on God, on the church staff, etc. So anything we said that crossed the line of complete innocence, like for example, a quote, naughty word, if we heard another kid say anything, we were expected to tattle on them, tell a church staff member, and they would then be punished. Now, I need to be clear. I am not coming on here and advocating for elementary-aged kids 
to run around in church saying, bitch, shit, fuck. I'm not advocating for that. What I am saying is our speech in church was monitored to an unhealthy extreme and it produced consequences. Everyone agrees that no child should be cussing people out and calling them slurs. But as a child in this environment, you truly could not say anything. You couldn't say poo-poo. You couldn't say aw man. And with my personal testimony, I found out that you can't say the word darn. This one Wednesday night, they were letting a straw and color on pieces of paper. And I was translating this comic strip that I had read out of a Diary of a Wimpy Kid book that I checked out of my third grade teacher's classroom library. And she was a person that was just as if not more strict than church staff on swearing. This comic strip featured a whale that was stuck on dry land and a single speech bubble coming from the whale. And it said the word darn, period. Capital D, darn, period. That made third grade me pretty much R-O-F-L, roll on the floor laughing. So I translated it on a larger scale onto this piece of white printer paper to show my friends so they could laugh too. And then a member of church staff saw it and got offended, who then told my great grandma, who looked at me grimly and was ashamed of me the whole car ride home, and then told my mom and dad when we got home that I wrote the word darn on a piece of paper and they were disapproving as well. So that just goes to show the extent of how our speech was monitored. Absolutely nothing could come out of our mouths that was crossing the line of pure angel innocence, or we would get in trouble. How does this affect me negatively? I'll tell you. My thought process as a child became, if I can't say the word darn, if I can't even say that, then there's a whole heck of a lot of things that I can't say either. And that evolved into me suppressing my true thoughts and emotions. And partially explains my tendency going forward in the middle and high school years to become a people pleaser and not stand up for myself. And ironically, looking at that effort they made to keep me innocent, which evolved into me suppressing my true thoughts and feelings, eventually caused me to lash out. Whereas I had a phase where I said the most foul things I could think of and looked up extremely foul things on the internet, which traumatized me. That's why I asked you guys to at least stick around to the end of this point, because now you see where I went with it. I know when I said speech suppression at the beginning, some of you got a tight asshole and thought, is he going to go down some far right shit? No, quite the contrary. I'm now going to segue into a different point, but it's also one that's very similar because it's about this same speech suppression, although it affected somebody that I held close to me in a negative, different way. So from the very moment I stepped foot in my childhood church when I was a toddler, I met this kid and we became best friends. And we really connected because we were both absolutely obsessed with Super Mario. In fact, throughout elementary school, we would both show up early before small group to spit random Super Mario facts at each other. Niche things about Nintendo and Mario that we would pull from those YouTube top 10 videos and from playing the games. It became this contest every Sunday morning before small group to see who could spit the most niche Mario facts at each other. And that time that I spent with him and the way we bonded so closely over Mario is up there with the fondest memories I have from church. But over time, we grew apart. His passionate energy that he carried for video games really started to dwindle. And I think I know why. Because my parents were not the only parents in church that were closely monitoring their kids' speech. This kid that I was best friends with 
had a very authoritarian parent that was hell-bent on keeping him on the straight and narrow, making sure he said only what they expected him to say. Again, no naughty words, nothing that strayed off the path of innocence, in order to make themselves and the church look good. And I'm going to share a memory that I was reminded of this past week when writing the script for this episode. It absolutely devastated me when I thought deeply about it. I remember this one time in kindergarten, we were both getting ready to be in a theater play, and we were just laughing, having fun, being kids. And he had this moment where he said something really funny, got a big smile on his face, started laughing, but his mom was right there. And she bent down and clenched his head between her hands and started lecturing him through gritted teeth. And his expression immediately changed from being overjoyed to down, slumped defeated and it rattled me as a kid to see it and i wasn't even in his position his expression from that day is seared into my brain not only because of the drastic change but his new expression was as if to be reminded i'm not okay being my genuine authentic self and back to what i was saying before that story his passion and his overall energy for things really started to dwindle he was involved in a million different extracurriculars, gymnastics, choir, theater, piano, you name it, he was involved in it. And at the same time, I could tell that video games were the thing that he was most passionate about. It was the thing that really made him light up. Every time he was at choir practice or theater, he had his Nintendo 3DS and he was playing Mario and Luigi Dream Team or whatever the hell. And he lost that energy for it over time. And it's perfectly normal to change what you're passionate about. You can become less passionate about something you were once passionate about and replace it with something you're more passionate about. That's normal. But I think that a lot of factors in this kid's life changed his passion towards life overall. As the years went on into middle and high school, I saw him looking more and more burnt out with every interaction. And I used to be jealous of him, of how many things he was involved in because I thought, damn, I don't have those same opportunities. I want skills in these things, you know, gymnastics, piano. But looking back now, I'm glad I wasn't as involved and that I had a healthy amount of free time. And I vividly remember our high school youth pastor giving us a sermon on a Wednesday night and he showed up late and he was in his school uniform. He went to a private school. And so he had a school uniform and he sat down in this sermon and almost immediately fall asleep. And I would glance over at him he struggled to stay awake the entire time. And looking back, I just can't help but think it's not necessary to spend high school burned out. And I can't help but think that his parents are the ones that encouraged him to fill his schedule to the brim. The same ones that suppressed his true thought for having normal kid reactions and feelings towards things. And to bring this story to a close, I will say I talked to him fairly recently. This was about three months ago, right before I moved back in for my sophomore year of college. Of all places to run into him, I ran into him at Malwart. I was door dashing and I went into Subway to pick up food and he was sitting there eating pizza. And I was really eager to see him. I brought my usual high energy. That's the thing about me approaching a conversation is I like to bring energy to it. Once I come out of my shell in the conversation, I will be the one to bring the energy to a group discussion and one-on-one. -on -one. And the purpose of our conversation was for me to genuinely check in with him. So I was asking him, how are things going? Are you excited about the future? Oh, that reminds me of X play that we did together. And I was bringing sincere energy to the conversation. 
And meanwhile, this guy had no conviction in his voice, no excitement. He just kept a neutral facial expression and a monotone voice the entire time he was speaking to me. And I kept the same energy throughout the whole conversation. But during the conversation and after, I couldn't help but think, this is such a far cry from who you used to be. You used to be this bubbly kid that was overwhelmingly passionate about Super Mario to the point where you knew every little detail about his games and his lore. And we used to feel absolutely euphoric just talking about Mario. He used to have more energy than me and inspire me to explore my interests as a kid despite everything I was going through at home. And now the tables have completely turned. He just sounded like a robot throughout our entire conversation. And it just upsets me pairing it with the context of the scenario I mentioned earlier between him and his parent figure. And here's my theory so that I can wrap this all in a nice little bow and make it as relatable to other people as possible. I think this kid's parents and the church both communicated to him that if he obeyed everything his parents told him and served the church and always strived to be a good upstanding Christian and got involved in a wide range of extracurriculars instead of quote, rotting away on the devices, that he would get all of his basic needs met and lead a fulfilling life. And maybe that is true to an extent, but from my perspective, what I saw is that he was burned out, dissatisfied, and overall numb. And I've also been in a place of feeling overall numb towards life. And then I went to therapy for it and got better. And I sympathize with people that are in that position as well. And I can't imagine what my life would look like right now had I never climbed out of that. So that's why I really feel for this guy. Because his numbness could have been easily avoided. There's other ways to lead a fulfilling life besides overworking yourself and suppressing what you truly care about in my opinion. And all in all, I think this guy's quality of life and attitude towards life would be different for the better if there was not the factor of pleasing his parents and pleasing the church. And with that being said, I think I touched on everything I wanted to touch on with that. And I'm now going to move on to my next talking point. My next talking point has to do with the attitude that the church pushes towards sex. The church I grew up in stood firmly on the principle of no sex before marriage, and I heard it in sermons with no context of the talk. I never got the talk. And because sex was introduced to me in this way, I was so confused, I made bold assumptions about sex that just weren't true, I had a plethora of misconceptions about it, but that's not even the point I'm trying to drive home. The point I'm trying to drive home is this. As I heard repeatedly, you cannot have sex before marriage. Sex is only to consummate a marriage. Sex before marriage is a sin. Whether it was meant to be taken this way or not, my naive brain took it to mean that sex is bad, which screwed me up royally, thinking that my sexual desires constituted sin and would land me in hell if I didn't repent of them. And once I thought critically about the concept of only having sex in a marriage, I thought, wait a minute, the church states that before you can have sex with someone, you have to swear your lifelong allegiance to them. 
Splitting your assets between you two. Compromising again and again for schedules and interests and hobbies. We're talking career goals, family goals, retirement. The church says that only when you are on that level with a person are you allowed to have sex with them and it not be a sin. And this is going to be me inserting my opinion a little bit. But just no. I am so sorry, but I am not going to root on that side of history. I think sexual liberation is a good thing. And I do acknowledge that I could be completely wrong, but the reason I stand so firmly on this ground is because I had my sexual feelings so confused, unimaginably confused, and it's something I'm having to work through to this day. And it started with the principle pushed by the church that sex before marriage is a sin. And I would rather die than have another kid be left in the dark about sex to the extent that I was and have to unravel this shit storm that I'm still having to unravel to this day. And for what? Purity culture. And I look at it and I go, purity culture? Really? It just really burdens me that these purity culture takes regarding sex exist alongside the fact that sex is arguably the most integral part to being a human. Like, bruh, that's how we got here. That's how we exist. The church is pushing the narrative that sex before marriage is sinful and giving people a take on sex that is from purity culture, telling teenagers with raging sexual desire that their sexual thoughts are sinful and that they must repent of them, and lacks the full spectrum of sexual education. Meanwhile, leaving people in the dark about sexual education is producing far worse consequences than if they were properly educated. And the fact that I was repeatedly told that I'm not going to quote, do anything and then dismissed, and never actually received the talk, I don't know about you guys. But that speaks volumes to me and confirms where I stand on this issue. In a world with condoms and birth control and a divorce rate of one in two, you are not going to fare well with telling people that sex is only for marriage, much less that it's a sin. Okay, I now have one more talking point to characterize why my church experience was terrible. And it has to do with distrust. And I'll kick it off with this. From the time I joined my church's student ministry in sixth grade to the time I left after my senior year, we had four different youth pastors. I learned that there's this running joke with churches in the Bible Belt because I saw this meme online of how youth pastors will assume their position for an average of two years and then dip. And I understand that people have a tendency to only fill certain career positions for a limited time, and then they move on to different ventures in life. I get that. But I think it's an entirely separate ordeal when you leave your position as a youth pastor, a position of influence to kids. And after you leave, things come out about you. The youth pastor that I was introduced to my sixth grade year left prior to my seventh grade year. So it was enough time for me to really build my trust in him. And then it seemed like he was just snatched away. 
I remember really looking up to him. He spoke with conviction. He took the time to talk to the students individually. It seemed like he ran the student ministry to a great degree. And then he announced his departure. And at the time I was like, whoa, okay. I really didn't expect this. But as the months went on, I bought into the idea that it was just a natural thing that he was leaving his position as our youth pastor in order to pursue his own evangelical ministry. Well, about a year ago, I was scrolling Instagram one night and I saw a post from the press in my hometown. And once I recognized what it was, I had two separate thoughts, one followed by the other. The first thought was, oh my gosh, that's my ex-youth pastor. And the second thought was, oh my gosh, that's my ex-youth pastor's mugshot. It was true that my youth pastor at the time left his position to start his own evangelical ministry. But as the years went on, certain rumors came out about him. And now I see him in the press for being physically abusive to his wife. And it made me fume because this was a man that had influenced me greatly in sixth grade. As I'm just entering those awkward middle school years, I'm very open to deception. And there's changes happening in my body that I don't know what the fuck to do about. This is one of the biggest influences in my life. And it turns out he's a piece of shit. And as I was writing the script for this episode, I sat back and remembered that time. In sixth grade, I was more religious than I've ever been in my life. I'm talking, I was a walking, talking, living, breathing representation of Jesus, or so I thought. I made sure people knew where I stood in my faith, and I took it really, really far, to the point where I was claiming that I was having visions, like fucking Old Testament figures. And in this period of my life now, where the majority of my day is dedicated to working on myself, sixth grade has been one of my most obvious places to look to answer these questions. Why did I get bullied? Why was I left out? How did my self-esteem become so bad? My youth pastor laying hands on his wife is terrible in and of itself, and it's also so much larger. Just by merit of him laying hands on his wife, he's not a representation of Jesus, and there's no telling what principles he fed me that were not in line with the gospel of Christ. So I look back on this time, and we have this man who was put in his position so that he could be a positive influence in my life. But now, all these years later, all I'm left to question is, was I brainwashed? And I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. I was. Because I already touched on these fake visions that I used to have. And I got so caught up in them. Visions, signs from God, premonitions, whatever. I was completely full of myself. And so one time in sixth grade, I completely made up a vision. I bullshit it. But I brought it to him, and this man had fully-fledged definitions for what each part of my vision meant. Things concerning other people in relation to me, the church, God's plan for my life, please. This man broke down this quote vision, seeing it all the way through, thinking he was playing the position of a wise prophet. He was pulling things out of his ass. And the craziest part about it is I don't even know what my intention was behind this. I think part of me was hypnotized by religion 
And another part of me was trying to perform a vibe check on this guy. I was definitely interested in what visions broken down mean. And so I made one up. What is a vision broken down? Did anybody even have visions anymore? I didn't even know, but he somehow did. He bought into it and so fed me misinformation. It breaks my heart that I was in a place of being naturally on fire for God at this point. I had personally asked Jesus into my heart because I had been going to church for my entire life and that's all I ever knew. I proudly represented the church at a time where I couldn't have processed its gigantic flaws and the way that it's traumatized people. So I do have one final example to talk about what happened because I was not questioning church's legitimacy. So Pentecostal churches feature the concept of praying in tongues, being slain in the Holy Spirit. Whereas you can go down to the altar and receive a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. This was featured at my Baptist church for some reason, even though I'm not sure whether or not being slain in the spirit is in line with the Baptist church's theology. But in middle school, I was curious about this. At the end of services on Sunday, they would have people come down to the altar and be prayed over, and sometimes they would be slain in the spirit. They would fall down to the ground and lie completely still with their eyes and their mouth closed. And I took this posture to mean that they were receiving either word or healing from the Holy Spirit. And that's something I wanted to experience for myself. I was already going down to the altar to get prayed for many a time. Those of you that are close to me know that I didn't quite have the most ideal childhood. I had no shortage of things that I needed prayer for. <laughs> so there were a few times that I went down to the altar and I did feel this presence that I had never felt otherwise when I had been prayed for. And I did go down on the ground. But unlike the people surrounding me on the ground that looked serene, I, on the other hand, was always overwhelmed with emotion, full-on ugly crying and breath shortness. And after this occurred a few times, I began to realize that my, quote, experience with the Holy Spirit was different than everybody else's surrounding me. I wanted to reach that serene state of meditation that I was noticing in everybody else. But instead, I was completely overwhelmed with emotion, and I had never heard any instruction from the Holy Spirit or experienced any kind of healing as I had expected to. And I eventually stopped going up to the altar. And this past year, as I mentioned in the start of the episode, as I began to take a more objective view of my growing up in church, I began to realize, wait a second, a sense of overwhelm, uncontrollable crying, Shortness of breath? Those are all symptoms of a panic attack. I was going up to the altar to receive word from the Holy Spirit that I had no way of verifying the legitimacy of. And what was I receiving in return? Conditioned panic attacks. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't understand how to properly discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, this is one of those things that rubs me completely the wrong way when I look back on it. I experienced unnecessary emotional overload time and time again. And I wonder how did that affect my immune system? And also what precedent did that set for me at the time? Because I know today, if I went to a place where I experienced that kind of emotional overwhelm, I would set boundaries to where I could ensure that I would never go to that place again. 
And then I remember how my thought process tended to go at this specific time in my past. Perhaps I thought, maybe it didn't happen this time, but if I just go up to the altar one more time, I will have a real, serene, meditative encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I will either receive healing or instruction. And if I'm the one voice in the entire Bible Belt that calls this practice of being, quote, slain in the Spirit into question, then so be it. Because in my personal experience, it was detrimental. So that's the last talking point that I have. And rather than saying that's how we're going to wrap up this episode and closing it down, I wanted to include an entire closing segment for this episode. We obviously just talked about some serious topics, some of which concern the livelihoods of people. That's why I didn't throw out any names. For that reason, and also because I am not equipped to handle anything that might be thrown at me, I don't want any drama to come out of this. I simply wish to move on. The point of this episode was to document my issues that I have with the church. Because at one point, I found it very difficult to verbalize my exact issues with the church. It felt hypocritical, and ironically, it felt full of sin. To be openly criticizing this place that I held as the closest thing to my heart for nearly two decades. As Link said on the podcast Ear Biscuits, deconstruction is a very hairy topic. But I've spent the past 30 minutes laying out my feelings on this topic in the most direct and articulate way that I've ever done it. And for that, I'm proud. I now have a solid foundation for my argument criticizing the church, which is something I didn't have before. I used to always pick at these thoughts knowing they were legitimate, but lacking the substance to put them into words. And I feel a huge weight lifted off my chest, having finally finished recording this episode because I feel as though I've done that. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. If you struggle with religious trauma, I hope this has helped you. And if you know somebody who struggles with religious trauma that has struggled to verbalize it and you think they would benefit from listening to this episode, feel free to share it with them. That's all I have, though. Everybody, please take care. I'll see you for next week's episode of Well Cordell.